Welcome to Three Point Landing, where we talk about movies, games, and TV shows. This week, we're going to be talking about season two of The Boys, the comic book adaptation that's got everybody up in arms over how bloody it is. As usual, I'm your host, Misha, and joined by my co-host, Matthew. But today, we're not alone, as it were. Uh, we are joined by a very distinguished guest. You know him as the founder of Geek Fight. Paulo Jose Cruz is here with us to help us take hey. down this show. Welcome to the show, hey, man. Hey, everyone. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Hooray. <laughs> Thank you. We've been on a kick lately. Uh, we, we figured that our show needed something that neither of us had, Matthew and I. Uh, namely, credibility. Credibility. <laughs> so, welcome. <laughs> We're going to sponge off of yours. No, but sure, seriously, sure. thanks for coming on. Seriously. Um, we, we, we like talking about geek stuff here, and um, there's nobody better suited for this episode than you. Awesome. You flatter me, but thank you. Is it working? Is it working? <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. All right. All right. Okay. Here we go. For those of you just tuning in, tuning in, parang radio lang. For those of you just tuning in, <laughs> this is Three Point Landing. Today, we're talking about the boys. We are joined by Paolo Jose Cruz, and we are going to get into it. So, how are you guys? I mean, Paolo, how are you doing in the quarantine before we get on to the nitty-gritty? I could be doing better professionally, but uh, at least I don't feel lonely. I've been doing a lot of online um, virtual tabletop games to keep me busy. That So, at least... You know, even if things could be better in terms of job prospects, the, at least mm-hmm. I, I'm not going insane from the loneliness. Well, it's good that you're keeping yourself busy in any case. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the rest of us, you know, we're all just trying to do our best. I mean, what you said, just trying to keep sane, man. This, yeah. this is, these are interesting times. <laughs> That's pretty uh, in, the sen- I think. Definitely in the sense of the, the Chinese proverb, yes. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. My ancestors okay. felt that, by the way. <laughs> Ooh. Let's talk about the show then. Uh, did you guys catch the first season? I mean, I, you would have had to, right? I mean, if we're going to be talking about the second. Yep. Yeah. Right. What, 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 what were your takeaways? What did you think about it? I, I, actually, may I, may, I, may I sort of derail for a little bit? Like, It's funny that you say that we should have watched the first season to watch the second season. That's 100% true that's like the sacred <laughs> contract of television but it's interesting to me that you said that because uh the show the boys was co- was co-created by eric kripke who ran a television show that i did not watch from beginning to end i jumped in cold into the middle of it eric kripke was the creator of supernatural and mm-hmm. i remember like i thought everybody would tell me the show was good and i thought about like getting into it right and people told me season four and five was the best and i was like you know what I'll just watch season four and five and I'll figure it out. Like if the show is good, I won't need to have to watch the other three seasons. And that paid off for me, actually. I think that paid off because Supernatural is still one of the old guard. I mean, it's still one of those episodic Mm. television shows. For heaven's sake, it started Buffy was still on. So, you know, it's been around a while. But um, if we're talking about pacing, at the end of the day, this show, I mean, The Boys, was still released on that staggered weekly 
release pattern that we associate with old school, quote unquote, the- old school pre-digital TV. So, and I was going to bring that up because I binged it and in ahead of this show, um, ahead of okay. this re- recording, because I wasn't following it from the start. I, I caught up when I was invited for the spot and the intensity of um, watching that level of gore um, back to back, or it wasn't really back to back, but it was over the course of a few days as opposed right. to seeing it weekly. Um, I, I realize now why they went with that r- standard release pattern so that you, you, you could take your breath between episodes, um, between <laughs> whether it's the dramatic revelations or just the, the sheer shock value um, of some of the, uh, well, at least it was relevant plot driven shock value, but shock value nonetheless. For sure. Um, I didn't mean anything. I didn't mean it in the, in the, in the, the, the serial sense. What I meant it in the, the supernatural by and large. I mean, while it does still have um, thematic arcs per season, it's by and large, it's still very episodic. Whereas The Boys is a, an ongoing right. narrative. You know, the network TV shows, especially ones from the last uh, three decades, honestly, before the golden age of streaming, they were designed really that you could jump in, what Matthew said, at any given point and somehow catch up. Yeah. And, you know, but like, I appreciate uh, Paolo's observation about the boys uh, being like that because it kind of feels like the boys is sit somewhere in the middle of the whole Netflix. Like, like, this is what I don't like about Netflix right now is that it feels like some of their seasons are not only hard to digest because they come dropped in whole season on a single day and you're, you know, sort of obligated to consume all of it in one sitting or one weekend to keep up with a conversation. But they yeah. also feel padded out as like 13 hour long movies. And The Boys is definitely an ongoing story, but it's not a 10 hour long movie. It's definitely right. more like a 10 chapter novel. And that's kind of how I felt about The Boys and The Watch and Watchmen. They're both novels in the form of uh, a television show. And you know what? I I am actually enjoying it. I I enjoy this. I like the first season. Um, and I'm 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 digging the second one too. Uh, but but just for total transparency, I was not a fan of the comics that this is based on. Not in the least. I I, I found <laughs> it. It's just. I mean. I mean. I'm not. The, I mean. What what do, what do you guys think? Um, I mean. Well. Go, go ahead, ahead Paula. Oh well. I only read the first volume of the comic, and that was maybe about half a decade after it came out. Um, right. And I just sort of felt that it was too much of its time. And there were just so many better examples of doing the same superhero destru- uh, deconstruction from the same general period. I mean, starting with like the Wildstorm titles, like The Authority and Planetary. And then, you know, and and of course, the predecessor titles for it, like Kingdom Come, that it, mm-hmm. it sort of didn't have... Um, it didn't stand out within the the, the subgenre that of, of deconstructionist superhero work that it, that it occupies, and it also just felt like Garth Ennis being given free reign to play around with some of his um, worst indulgences in terms of of storytelling. Um, and while that was all fun um, on paper right, in right. Preacher. It, mm-hmm. it it felt a little excessive in the boys. Yeah, I felt I, like I felt absolutely. like Garth Ennis's writing, like uh, at that time, was very much like the boys was his was his wanted. You know how Mark Miller, like Mark Miller did, um, Mark Miller did the Ultimates, mm-hmm. which um, has some of its own incessant. Oh, sorry, the Ultimates is just sort <laughs> of like is this for the for the for those of you listening at home. 
the Ultimates is a sort of 21st century take on the, on the Avengers. Avengers. Which yeah, I yeah. actually enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a 21st century take on the Avengers that sort of like updates it for the post-Bush, post-terrorism era. Right. And while that, that, that entire lineup and imprint and universe has been mothballed, many mm-hmm. of like the modernizations in that comic have made their way into the Avengers and even into the MCU. MCU, absolutely. Um, now, the thing is, that stuff is fine because Miller was like operating within, with characters that he didn't own. And therefore had a, re- a sort of like artistic <laughs> responsibility to, right? You mean he was on a but leash? When he did, but when he did uh, Wanted and he was just like, I'm going to make fun of my own DC hero thing. It was like, here's Johnny, <laughs> here's Johnny Two Dicks. Here's like, you know, here's this guy who's made of like, who's, here's our version of Playface who's made of poop. You know, like it's all, <laughs> it's all like incredibly juvenile. And while, I, I agree. While I this... sometimes enjoy Wanted. That ending, that, that the way that, that that book ended with you know whatever is just so like unsavory, and I think that's pretty much where I feel about <laughs> the boys. Yeah, how I feel about. No, I I, the boys. I agree. I found look. Okay, here's the thing. As far as superhero deconstructions go, um, Watchmen is nihilistic. It really is. But at least there's a point to it. It doesn't feel like a 15 year old boy just writing anything for the sake of shock value and that's exactly what that's what i mean i agree with you on um on miller and wanted and i felt the same way here except with enos after preacher it felt like he was dialed up to 11 because he was like oh i can do what i want now and it really felt like it it was so far up its own butt that series it was just trashy and indulgent in all of the worst ways and I, I I couldn't even read it in one sitting I read volume one <laughs> um, except my volume one unfortunately Paolo was the omnibus so <laughs> I could oh. not read it it took it took me like two weeks to get through it because it was just so heavy I'm like <laughs> literally where does this end why, why well, won't it end <laughs> well you know it's funny you say that Misha you said that he, he felt like I can do anything you want and he did do anything he wants and then the, 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 the series was cancelled six issues in before that's it got right. That's right. resurrected to, yep. that's to, right. to Dynamite Entertainment yes <laughs> Who I guess we're just willing to take on anything at that point. But so um, our, 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 I guess collectively speaking, our, our, we can all agree that you know whatever whatever the boys is as a comic, it's definitely not one we're like you know we held in reverence or esteem before watching the right. show that we love. Not at all. I was not looking forward to this show. <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised. But moving on, the show season one. <laughs> okay. So for those of you who haven't seen it, The Boys is about um, a world where superheroes have been, are, are corporate commodities. They are products. They are <laughs> celebrities. They are the superstars. And they are just as manufactured and PR'd to death as most of our mainstream um, stars these days. Yeah. Right. Except uh, as far as the show goes, uh, what the sh- show doesn't take long in showing us is that these superheroes are just as narcissistic and douchey as the worst celebrities that exist in our own world. So, uh, what, what are your thoughts, boys? <laughs> what did you like about season one? Um, okay, uh, and I think, uh, just as a consideration to the listeners who may not have seen season one yet, we are going to go full-on spoilers 
um, for the first season, including any um, major plot revelation, like thematic plot revelations. Is that right? Yep. All right. That's yeah, right. Pretty um, much. Here's your spoiler warning. Don't say we didn't warn you. <laughs> I think. Well, I was less interested in the angle that um, that superheroes are, are smug celebrity assholes than mm-hmm. I was in the idea that that the mythology, the public facing mythology that had built up around them. For example, um, Homelander, who is this, mm-hmm. the Superman analog, had right. been um, had a backstory about being an alien, um, at least as far as the, the public mm-hmm. goes. And then um, they pull the rug on, under that and reveal that he was essentially um, a lab-grown superhero in, in many ways and that, um, that he'd been conditioned through quite... Um, explicit brainwashing and exposure to all these um, archetypes of goody two-shoes Americana to become the the person who he was. And that angle was slightly more interesting to me um, where it's less about showing um, superheroes can be humans too and more like the whole image is a lie and and how that plays out in in terms of the the drama between the characters. Well, I loved I loved this take. I had not considered that actually because you know it, it's it's very. I had to admit that satire is my favorite part of this show rather than mm-hmm. the plot. And so and and but at the same time, the whole like haha, heroes are vain, dumb. You know, like that's 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 easy money. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I think what Paula just did here is like point to something that's really interesting, which is how I guess corporations and 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 other forces work to create myth for us to create you know narratives you know for us to be able to digest the culture and digest consumer products and i i am all for it i mean uh matthew will tell you that i am a i I recently (laughs) took my second retirement from advertising and before that i was doing pr and all that stuff and so just watching this show present these Pampered, spoiled celebrity superheroes as um, people who had to be stage managed. I was just eating it up. It was just hilarious to me every <laughs> second. I could feel for those people trying to manage their clients' images and failing miserably. Mm-hmm. As for think- um, Homelander, um, yeah, fine. He's a super Superman knockoff. And I think at this point, it's become kind of something of a cliché. To, um, right. to 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 deconstructive takes on these archetypal um, I, superheroes like Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman. I mean, they're all represented. Um, I think what I like here is that there is literally no redeeming quality to any of those and any of these people. <laughs> well, I think, I think I think the argument can be made that there's still some redemptive quality to 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 uh, Maeve, whereas yeah. you know Black Noir is largely a cipher, although he seems to be a very willing tool By of the corporation. Design. Yeah, willing tool of the corporation. So you know the chances of him being you know a very you know emotionally or moral morally complicated person are uh, I'd say five percent. Okay, that's <laughs> fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, and I don't. I don't even think that um, Starlight or Annie is completely without redemption. I mean, she's confused. She's been fed a narrative since That's childhood um, about what she ought to aspire to. But it's clear that she sort of pushed back to, against that. And that carries through um, into season two as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I actually like how she's become a more proactive character than she was even in the comic books, honestly. 
here she's actually she actually has a conscience in this one and she cares she really cares and that's what makes her stand out from these other douchebags that she's in a team with yeah i think but, that uh, that's a that she presents a more interesting dramatic angle because i feel like in the comics it's just like haha look at this innocent girl this innocent uh pretty yes, girl she's, she's naive the hard way she's naive let's make mm-hmm. her let's make her suffer uh yes. you know and like like man looks like shit got real let me let it be said yeah. that Ennis was a writer who like was very sensitive to women <laughs> <laughs> not at all yeah um, it was a classic um, break the cutie to use the tv trope term oh yeah 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 absolutely which brings us to okay we talked about the douchebag superheroes let's talk about the uh, fataler characters Let's talk about the boys. The boys are a group who have made it their life's work to take down douchebag superheroes. And they are led by, at this point, I suppose he is a geek god, um, Carl Urban <laughs> as Billy Butcher with the wonkiest Cockney accent. But somehow he gets away with it because he's so gosh darn charming. I, th- I, well, think what, his ac- I think his accent is like completely atrocious in the first season. It gets better in the second <laughs> season, but it's, it's still not an authentic Cockney accent. It's I can't just decide un- if he's doing it on purpose. <laughs> it, 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 it's, just a, it's just a reliable accent at that point. It's one that's actually like stays the same throughout the season as opposed to season one. It's just like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> At least it's not like Dick Van Dyke, but you know, anything is better than Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> well, what I want to talk about is like uh, the deep how do you guys feel mm-hmm. about the deep? <laughs> Good lord! Oh, you're laughing. You're laughing already because you're God. thinking about season two. Uh, yeah, because like I think it's really. I think she's really. It, it's really crazy how much of a joke character he is, but they're still also right. using him for pathos. It's mm-hmm. just like like I do not know what to make of him really. <laughs> uh, and this is a second meta level for me, also because I. I'm more than I care to admit was invested in Gossip Girl, so I can't unsee him. I can't not see Chase Crawford as um, was Nate. Was that his name in Gossip Girl? I, I, I don't remember the. I mean, I don't remember the, the details now, but I definitely remember the character. And so, you know, to see him go from um, from the Reggie, you know, in Archie terms, to that is 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 oddly gratifying. And, um, what was I going to uh, say? I think. Uh, I, sorry. Uh, sorry. Uh, no, I think um, with regards to the the titular characters that you were talking about, that you brought out that you brought earlier, I don't find them the most interesting part of the show. I'm sorry to say that, like they're they're not as interesting to me. I don't think they're subpar characters. I'm just merely stating a preference because it feels like in season they're, they're they're proactive. But they also spend large stretches of time being passive. And I understand that that's a function of them trying to be, you know, trying to lay low and hide. But it also means they spend most of those episodes with their thumbs, with their thumbs twiddling, waiting for like opportunity. You know, like, right. I get it. I get it. Like for, from story logic, I'm just not happy with how it makes the show feel very idle. And that's kind of why I gravitate to the superhero characters because they provide all the, all the you know salacious and interesting dramatic conflicts between characters. And by the way, uh, um, I promise that we're gonna like move on from other characters. But with Homelander, I just want to say Anthony Starr there like gives like a freaking wild performance. And I'm He's also amazing. Kind of, and I'm also kind of scared by his face because his face looks like Paula. You can you can confirm this for me. 
this face looks like a, a crazy wild-eyed comic book drawing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like you can I see mean, the way like, the, eye, the eyeliner and the, the the shape of his mouth is like, like you can see like right. <laughs> yeah, you can easily imagine him like as as a John Cassidy drawing coming come to life, or um, yeah, or like he's just come off of the pages of of the Ultimate since you brought that up earlier. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can I can I just uh, to Matthew's point where the boys just pretty much spend like a lot of their time with their thumbs up their butts? I think a lot of that I said, comes from the I fact. said twiddling, twiddling their thumbs not thumbs up their butts. <laughs> I <laughs> extrapolated, <laughs> <laughs> but 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 I think a lot of that I I agree. Um, I think they're a lot better at managing that in the second season. A lot of that comes from the fact that they removed um, something that characterize them in the books, which was that they would actually take doses of Compound V to be able to take on the superheroes one-on-one, which makes so much sense when you think about it. Because when you see what these guys can do, these superheroes, you would not think that, you know, a four or five-man team armed with assault weapons would have any kind of chance. They don't even wear armor. Yeah, I heard about that plot point, plot point about the the boys like making use of compound V, and I've been mm-hmm. kind of waiting for the shoe to drop on that for them to inevitably take it, like you know, or whatever. But at the same time, I think the narrative logic might be that they don't want these characters to take it because then they'll realize that they'll just be like suits, you know what I mean? Well, and yeah. there's sort of there's sort of this okay, contamination fair. angle. But I think Paula might have more nuanced like narrative takes on this one. Yeah, I also think that it, it it's because it forces them um, from a narrative standpoint to hit at um, the supers through their public image, through the things right. that, that give them their uh, their public support. Because if you dis that a discredited hero, especially in the case of the ones who have been already been kicked off the team, um, are much easier to manipulate and turn into potential assets or pawns. In the case of mm. um, the more feeble-minded ones, then than actually um, having to, to, to just bring mm. them down. Instead of, if you learn their their non-physical weaknesses, it's a lot, uh, it strategically makes more sense to try to pump yourself up to their level in terms of powers and then take on the attendant risks of messing with, with Compound V. Yeah, in the, case of, was... in the case of Deep and Homelander, like public image isn't just something that is like value that is uh, a resource. It's something. It's almost a virtue system for them. Like it's all that fucking matters to them. So you're really hurting, hitting them where that where it hurts for them. No kidding. Um, for me, I was thinking that take keeping the superpowers from the boys, you know, as it were, forces them to do exactly what you guys said. Um, it also forces them to be a lot more creative in how they're presented. Is taking down the supers at all? When they're in a face-to-face confrontation, I mean, it's more interesting that way. But what I was also thinking was that um, keeping the superpowers away from the boys also quite literally makes them more human. It gives them more more, right. more character than the books ever had, than they ever had in the books. That's and true. And I they... like it. They're 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 fast. They're a fascinating bunch. Even when they're sitting there with their thumbs up, when they're twiddling their thumbs, you know, they're <laughs> not bo- they're not boring. I'll give you that. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you know, I really like that observation uh, you made, Misha. Because, like, that I realized that you know I've complained about the tone of NSS work before, and I realized yeah. if they actually shot themselves up with Compound V, mm-hmm. then they would start devolving into you know jolly old boys getting their jollies, you know, yeah. punching at super at superheroes. It would start becoming it start becoming no no greater than like you know a rowdy 
you know, I guess a rowdy football club or something or whatever. Just like, <laughs> right, right. Like I think Paulo gets what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> like um, then, then, then I think it's a me- start I think doing what's it for really fun. stands out. I think what really stands out for me is that Kripke seems to be this whole show seems to be Kripke's way of making for the deficiencies of the comic book to make it interesting, to make it engaging, to make you care about the characters. Yeah. In terms of the, the characters, absolutely. And also, it um, the show sort of makes it easier to situate the the boys as as a team within the context of other sort of uh, n- normals or, or like mm-hmm. rejects and casts off cast offs right. going up right. against a more powerful institution. In this case, literally superpowered. Because I was I was just thinking of um, how it compares with stuff like uh, I mean, like both the comic and film version of the losers or the A-team, and, mm-hmm. and it's sort of in line with that. Um, it just so happens that they're, instead of taking down, um, like, terrorists, um, or, 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 like, conventional terrorists, they're taking yeah. down um, super-powered celebrities. Definitely, definitely. And it's funny you bring up those two movies because they came out in the same year, and I love them both. They're both absolutely ridiculous, and they're yeah. essentially the same movie, but one of them has a tank <laughs> that's falls out of a plane and steers by firing a cannon. So I'm I'm there for that. <laughs> so you're saying you love the Fast and the Furious franchise. I got it. I love parts <laughs> of the Fast and the Furious franchise. I like it when they just go all in in their ridiculousness. I don't like it when they try and make it deeper than it is because they're not fooling anybody. Three-point landing! Speaking of movies, I just want to say that one of my favorite aspects of the second season is uh, the existence of a of a movie production called The Dawn of the Seven, which bears, <laughs> which bears which bears that was like awesome. yeah, which bears which is obviously an Avengers knockoff, but has the aesthetic sensibilities of a Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Dude, the Justice. poster is pretty much the one from Man of Steel. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I love and I love it also because there are these tiny little details that really really make me giggle in the sense that okay so there's I know what bit, you're gonna say but go for it yeah but there's this there's this bit where where you know they do a really strong like a strong woman scene right and <laughs> and, 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 yes, and they did. They, between between Maeve and another character two strong woman scenes actually but this mm-hmm. one in particular it's about um but anyway you know she I, I won't well, spoil you can it. do spoilers remember you can do spoilers yeah. No, this is season two, so I'm trying to oh, have a light, have a light touch. Anyway, so and when she walks off, you know, Homelander is like, you know, hey man, that was a great moment. You know, Yas bracket Sweden, Yas Sweden, <laughs> like really punched up that script, and that to me was like freaking hilarious. Because he didn't say Sweden, after, he just said Joss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I said bracket Sweden, <laughs> meaning we know that they meant Sweden. Like the, the, because you know after Joss Whedon was accused of emotionally cheating on his wife and after these <laughs> allegations cheating cheating yeah and, and and allegations of like uh workplace you know toxic set abuse and all that stuff it just like wow it's great that the the the, the callback is like a really really bad dude in the milieu in the pantheon of like superhero pop culture you know what I mean okay. I think that's like that was so rad. <laughs> Just to get people caught up. Um, so by the end of the first season, Billy Butcher, who hates the Supers because one of them raped his wife and possibly impregnated her, he has lost 
everything at that point because he found out that his wife was still alive and Homelander was aware of this fact and Billy did not know that she had been alive this entire time with a potentially superpowered son. And the second season starts with Billy being separated from the boys and the boys are just trying to find their make their way in the world without their boss um, while the evil Vault Corporation is being run by... Oh man, what's his name? Giancarlo Esposito. <laughs> Thank you, because I was going to say Gustavo Fring. God damn it. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say the dude from Mandalorian, but you know… With a dark saber? Gian, Giancarlo Esposito <laughs> is a gift to the world. I, by the way, he's going to be in Far Cry 6. Anyway. <laughs> is he just typecast at this point? Like every time you need he, a yes, easy, intelligent… Is. Yeah. You just need a smart bad guy. He's good. He's your go-to. Yeah. Bad guy look, in a suit. Look, he should team up with Mark Strong. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> they can just Man, maybe for a Legion of Doom movie. <laughs> I'm sorry, what, sorry? For a Legion of Doom centric movie. Holy oh, crap! I, I, I would watch would be, that. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, yeah. So um, who would Esposito be? No, Esposito would play like you know a, a, a race bent Lex Luthor, and um, yeah, uh, uh, I could do that. Yeah, I, I, Mark, I, yeah, I'd watch that. And, and, Mark, that, and Mark Strong Mark could be Sinestro. Well, I was gonna say yeah. he's gonna no 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 not Sinestro. He's gonna be he's gonna be the voice of Gorilla Grodd. That's what he's gonna be. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, yeah, I'd still watch that. Okay, fine, fine. Yeah, that sounds cool. Okay, <laughs> or Brainiac. <laughs> oh, jeez. No, even better. Like they they star in the streaming um, TV series version of Wanted. <laughs> Oh, Thank you no. so much. No, let's not let's not wish that upon the road. Oh, yeah, although, that, that could actually happen. Although, <laughs> given what we what we've already talked about today, who knows? Maybe some some incredibly gifted Don't showrunner and an executive producer will make will take this will take that wretched second half of Wanted and turn it into like some kind of like compelling masterpiece. Who knows? Right? I mean, I don't know. My imagination's not that good. Look, look, here's the thing. I think what Paolo was saying earlier about, you know, I think people forget that there's much more to work with with a flawed work, right? Like like, like well, we were saying yes. earlier, Misha. So <laughs> it's like if you, 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 you because you see the kernel of, 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 of goodness or joy or quality in that flawed work and elevate it, like there's more potential there as opposed to remaking or adapting something that people already like. That, oh, you know I agree I mean? completely. Yeah. I mean, like, let, let's, stop, let's stop remaking Psycho. Like, let's, we mentioned let's Buffy stop. already. I mean, that was a yeah. shitty movie. I mean, I love the movie. Yeah. It's still crap. Yeah. But the show, you know, it took off from there. Ocean's Eleven. That was based on a crappy movie. Like, like, let's, like, like, Paula, what's your favorite wretched TV show they should remake? Manimal. Mm. <laughs> 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 you know what? I don't even want to know what Manimal is. You never saw Manimal? It was you like don't know 80s. what Manimal is? Don't you lie. You were like 10 when that came out. I don't know what that is. No. <laughs> It'd be crazy. It's like um, they, they do ma- a Manimal reboot, but then they base plot elements off of Grant Morrison's Animal Man. <laughs> that would be insane. That would be insane. <laughs> oh my God. That would be so good. That would be so good. Mm. Okay, up, okay. up to and including him meeting with the producers of the show. Yes, and voicing his opinions and how he doesn't like where his story's going. <laughs> and M. Night Shyamalan's in there somewhere. But not writing or directing or producing. He's just there to play the producer who gets eaten or, or gets in a... No, but really. Okay, fine, fine. Uh, Paolo, what would you remake if you had all the budget in the world? What would you, what's a crappy show you would make good into a good movie? Or a good show, as the case may be. Hmm. Well, actually, what I thought was 
um, I'd ter- if I had the budget for it, I'd take the premise of Weird Science, keep the name Weird Science, but then turn mm-hmm. it into a, a, a season-length TV show. Um, but where it starts out that they animate, uh, uh, they take a VTuber and then mm-hmm. turn her into a flesh person. And, um, and then, but the, you know, the, the two characters would be much more, I, I guess, in Sally and, and basement dweller than their predecessors, but then sort of mm-hmm. rehab those characters where they, they have a, it, you know, they have an element of humanity to them and show that, you know, they're, that they're not beyond redemption and that, you know, um, instead of, of using, um, the, the equivalent of the Kelly the Brock characters uh, in a, in a very um, you know gratuitous way, they end up using their, their their control over her to end up becoming better persons for themselves, and you know, and then pass, and of course, still while still passing judgment on them um, for being who they are. But I think we're moving away from the the the, the point of the episode. But hey, I, I'm, I'm, I'd be glad to, to detail that further if anyone's interested. Yeah, you have given this a lot of thought. No, you don't, no yeah. man, you don't understand. Paolo's the master of pitches here. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. You've given I, it more thought than the guys who actually made the Weird Science TV show based on the John Hughes movie. I don't I pretend that doesn't exist. But I mean, I, I, <laughs> it, it has its appeal. I, I, and I did, I'd include nods to it. And, uh-huh. But yeah, I, I generally don't. I, I literally had actually forgotten um, about the, the show until you mentioned it. I'm cut, sorry. I, I, I cut, used to watch the show. A, I, I saw the show before I saw the movie, so I, I apologize uh, for that. Cut to an episode <laughs> where, like, you know, they're like, "Oh, you know, this this show exists." I'm like, "What?" Like, like a meta fourth wall breaking thing. But do but uh, <laughs> going back to the topic, I mean, I think The Boys is an excellent example of a good show being made from less than stellar. <laughs> Source material. I what I think <laughs> happened here is that you know some producers, some suits, they saw okay, Marvel's making money, DC's making money. What can we adapt right. that doesn't belong to either of those two? And I think this is what they latched onto. I don't know why. I don't know how because again, I found it a very unpleasant read. But good on them for making a good show out of it. Yeah, and I think I think. Um, like what's interesting about the show also is that it's the perfect time to release that show. Um, it's right after the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has cooled down for a breather, mm-hmm. and we have all we nerds and 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 non nerds or whatever, whatever, whatever that even means these days. Uh, Muggles, yeah. I'm not sure if I'm keen on that word. It feels like a it, it feels like a slur, especially because J.K. Rowling created it. <laughs> Spoken like a true mudblood. <laughs> no, but you know, like um, now that we're all um, not just comic book readers, but all of us are sort of like conversant and familiar with the superhero genre. Oh, for sure. Uh, I think uh, that's why it's a it good works time. better. It's yeah, absolutely. You're right. It's a good time for the show to have come out. And my first reaction, but, actually, when watching the first episode was that, oh, Jesus, like, they're talking about superheroes as corporate brands when literally the most powerful media corporation in the world has superhero brands. Like, right. like, <laughs> it, like why, it would be wild if they made fought more like Disney. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that they'd be too scared to. Yeah, man. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Paolo, what do you think? Well, well, um, well, two things. First of all, in terms of the meta, 
a commercial context about the timing of the show and what Misha had been mentioning about um, about trying to, to ride off the success of DC and Marvel was that um, they still took a chance because the premise, the closest thing that it resembles is Suicide Squad, which prior to the James Gunn iteration that's coming out um, had already um, had already flopped. And so there was a, a, a you know, the boys represented a commercial risk in that regard, even that the the um, relatively uh, the schlub guys versus the heroes, uh, or the schlub guys right. in a hero's world has already in some ways fallen on its face. Um, mm. And then the other thing to it is the other piece that it's worth looking at here is all right, if you're gonna if you see Marvel versus DC as also a proxy war for um, Disney versus WB, then it's worth considering that um, who's producing the boys, which is, uh, it, it's Amazon, who themselves are Bezos. closer to, to <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're, the role they occupy is a lot closer to Vought, um than than Marvel or DC are um, in terms of... The, what? The what? You mean this show wasn't created by a scrappy independent company? <laughs> in terms of world domination. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and so... Yeah. The, it's kind of a smokescreen in that sense because you're not looking at the, the corporate production that, or the, the the material conditions that go into the production um, of the show versus Amazon's millions of other lines of businesses that carry the same brand. I mean, granted, they're all administered, sure, by different corporate hierarchies. But um, like Matthew said, the money goes back to Jeff Bezos's pocket. So um, I think it's worth looking at that and saying what whose fingers aren't being pointed at in that show as well. <laughs> you mean who's watching The Watchmen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too, that too. <laughs> oh, man. Can, can we talk about the main character? I mean, fine, the ostensible main character because he just pisses me off. <laughs> Can we talk about Huey? What about him? I don't like him. He annoys me whenever he's on screen. I'm fine. I'm fine with him. I mean, I get it. Not a lot of people are big fans of television shows or, or, or movies where the character is like, a, a, you know, a, a skinny, you know, pasty, like shaky and twitchy guy. But, you know, I, that's I take not no the offense. Issue. That's not the issue. That what same is, dude what is the plays issue? the... Wait, wait. Okay, hold on. That that dude plays the lead ensign on Star Trek Lower Decks, okay? And oh. on that show, the first two episodes, he's just so goddamn obnoxious. In fact, every character on the show is obnoxious for the first two episodes before they find their footing. And before it stops trying to impress you with its with its Trek cred and actually starts trying to be a sitcom set in TNG land. But the point is, on that show, he actually shows some signs of growth, of some kind of evolution. On this show, mm-hmm. he's just whiny all the way through. Even when you think that he's developing some kind of a backbone, he's taking some kind of proactive action, he just lapses back into being a whiny bitch. Well, uh, you know, uh, uh, well, I have a counter-argument here there is that I don't think many of the characters have like lightning fast or you know medium speed you know, uh, character growth either. In fact, I think the the titular boys suffer the most because they're, for, for me, like, I, I don't like, I don't I don't find them as interesting because their their character arcs are <laughs> proceeding at a, gla- at a glacial pace. <laughs> like, like, definitely... Because of their yeah. thumbs up their asses. 
<laughs> yeah, like the, the you know Frenchie, Frenchie at the beginning of the show, all the way to like the latest episode. I feel like has mm-hmm. only just started beginning to make progress into a kind of a different person. And I'm like, well, if well, that's the case for Frenchie and other characters, then I can't hold that against Huey. But what do you think, Paula? Well, the thing is, I also, and specifically in Frenchie's case, and having seen um, his flashback in episode six, I feel like, or episode six of season two, I feel like Mm -hmm. he's already undergone the character growth. And, um, and because, uh, without giving away the details of that flashback, it feels like um, Mm -hmm. you see how far he's come already in terms of um, regaining a semblance of his, of humanity. But um, yeah. I also think that it's a function of their circumstances, though, also. Their circumstances are derailing their character growth for better or for worse. That makes it more like real life. Uh, that makes it more relatable. But it's it's less satisfying when we are looking for them yeah. to, to become, if not better people, exactly. then at least different people. <laughs> no, yeah. I agree. I mean, I know TV land is different from real life, but the show is named after them. They got to be more interesting. Right. Well, they got to be more see, interesting than the people that they're hunting. Well, keep in mind that Kripke and Co. like Co. ran Supernatural for five seasons, and those characters, while having their ups and downs and their mm-hmm. their, their, their struggles and their and their you know growth, they're pretty much remain, the same. Yeah, they're pretty. They're fairly unchanged. So that just seems like I wouldn't say a symptom of the writer's condition, but it's just something that feels like endemic to how television no 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 yeah. i'm gonna go back to earlier supernatural is a network show they're <laughs> they're built on longevity this is supposed to be like premium digital tv streaming stuff you know this is supposed to be like 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 if you watch it all back to back it's like one big movie this is an episodic tv sure it's released in chunks but none of the episodes are meant to stand alone ever it's an ongoing narrative. So you expect some kind of a, you know, development in your heroes. I mean, the way I feel, the way I feel about it is that I'm with you in the sense that I want to see those, 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 those character arcs happen. I'm just not faulting the show because I feel like, you know, that's just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm accepting it even though I don't, even though I want something else. Well, that's fair. Yeah, that's um, fair. I think the biggest problem with Huey as a perspective character is that um, he has no agency for better and for worse, but that's by design because even within the the boys, the team of badass um, non-powered mortals, he's still the the relatively dweebiest one. He's playing the heart role for better or for worse. And, and if you compare that with, with Anne, um, you know, she at least has agency. um, Even if she's the weakest Mm -hmm. of, of the seven, Possibly right. in terms of powers, but definitely in terms of standing, um, she's still able to to use people's underestimation of her um, as a as a way to push back. And um, Huey doesn't even have that capacity um, either because he lacks mm. the moral fiber for it. But mostly because yeah. you know he's just not in a position to the way other characters are. Mm, yeah, 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 I guess that's fair. That does make sense. Yeah, you're it, right. Like if if if, if Huey. You know, I think what Paula's pointing out here is if Huey tried the same tricks that Starlight did, mm-hmm. A, he wouldn't manage it because he doesn't have the spine for it. Like, he doesn't True. know. True. Like, right. like, like, deceit does not, is not something that he wants to engage in. And that as a, as a, as a male character, I don't think, even if he's dweeby, he can't leverage that the same way that a woman can. 
then, character. Yeah, I, then I'm sorry, but if he's not going to be driving the narrative, why is he our point of view? Well, I mean, if, Kim, if, if he's not going to be doing anything <laughs> interesting, you know, if his girlfriend is doing more interesting stuff than him, why aren't we well, following her? Well, now all you've done is come back around back to me. You come back to me in the sense that I find a super more interesting. <laughs> no, and again, I agree with you. But again, roads, as much as roads. the boys have been humanized on their own, you're absolutely right. It leaves them with a lot of time doing nothing. You've simply delayed the inevitable and all roads do back to me. <laughs> I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to think just based off all that's happened so far, is there a chance... Um, for Huey to become a, a full-blown protagonist uh, even by the end of season two. <laughs> oh, yeah. That. That's I'm not... Yeah. Ooh, I don't know. <sighs> I, I also don't think so. I mean, look at it this way. I mean, we got an origin story for Frenchie before we got anything interesting about Huey. If they were going to do something interesting with Huey, they should have done it already. Oh, can I just say, um, for anyone listening, if you ever looked up the comic book of the boys, um, Huey over there is Scottish. He's not American. And he was drawn specifically to look like Simon Pegg. And right. um, they, they paid tribute Lonely to that hole. in the first season by casting Simon yeah. Pegg as Huey's dad with the worst American accent ever. <laughs> oh, Which my is a God. nice, nice little well, parallel with, um, with the awful <laughs> Cockney accent on... on <laughs> I'll butcher. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. So basically, Eric Kripke, great, great, uh, great, uh, irreverent male narratives, lousy mm-hmm. with accents. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Carl Urban, I think, um, especially in the second season, his crazy ass Cockney character works best in small doses because yeah. uh, you know he's kind of one note. I admit. Yeah. But. Again, because he's Carl Urban, he's just so gosh darn charming and he's clearly having the time of his life that you cannot fault him for it. Well, okay, here's the thing. I want to talk about something about this show, which is I kind of feel like my biggest frustration with it is that it's not particularly sensitive to a femme perspective. Go for it. Like, the, sh- the show is very progressive and uh, insightful in its satire. It's Sometimes it's very sharp, but... Like there's this part again. Like there's this part where they 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 allude to things like bisexual erasure, uh, Puerto Rican identity, in just like the the last most recent episode. Sorry, in episode five. So like there's so many layers to this satire I love, and if I tried to get into all the Easter eggs and meanings of that satire, you would unload a whole wealth of pressures. But it's also not appealing in the sense that it feels like it doesn't take into account like the perspective of minorities, uh, queer people, or women. You know what I mean? I'm not saying it's a hateful work. I'm saying is that I think the show could be pushed a little further if it could be more inclusive in its perspective. How do you feel, Paula? It has the built-in excuse of Compound V being distributed specifically to, to white, what white seems people. anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, like a like a te- like a targeted demographic. I'm not gonna. I, I, can we get into the details of that about why it's been Go it's ahead. not been it's been distributed that way? But I mean, Go but uh, but that kind of mimics, in any case, the the real life distribution of of powers in terms of um, social capital. So I mean, that's how I that was my read on it. And I, I'm willing to give it a pass in a meta sense only because I feel like um, 
even if it did try to broaden the perspectives, if it did so in an artificial, shallow way, I'd rather it just give me a, a nuanced reading of a very, um, you know, white, hetero, um, male-focused story versus a shallow one that, that plays only um, mm-hmm. surface-level acknowledgement towards, um, towards more diverse perspectives, especially in comparison uh, to Watchmen, which manages to not only... Uh, Watchmen, the TV series, which not only manages to, to fully center um, on the lives of its Black characters, but also uh, has broader perspectives overall. So it, I'd ra- rather than do what it does well versus venture out and have it pale in comparison. I'd rather just stick with with. Uh, yeah, I get that. I, like, yeah, I, that, I, actually, I agree. Because that, yeah, that's what I. That, I think that Watchmen was definitely my comparison point for that. But like, I love that Watchmen like is definitely centered on white supremacy and uh, has black characters uh, uh, contribute deep chunks of the narrative, including the uh, very significant Asian character who, right, you know, who, who plays a, a big role. Um, so I, I guess I kind of thought like, well, if Watchmen is based on a very conventional comic book story, well, conventional as far as like, yeah. you know, it has white characters and male characters, like if it can push that work outwards and further into broader perspectives, why can't boys do that? And I guess I wasn't talking about the supers. Like, I think your point about how the superpowers are like social capital distributed to white people, like. I think that's like super, it was a super cool observation. I totally missed that. Uh, but rather, I wanted to see how corporate power and superpower impact marginalized communities, not just as jokes, but like, mm. you know, how, yeah, like, like that's my problem. And for the, the only notable character, we, the only notable main character of color we have uh, in the show are um, Kimiko. Or known known not very nicely in the in the original <laughs> comic as the female, which is basically <laughs> saying, well, she's only notable in that she's not a dude, uh, and uh, Mother's Milk MM, you know, uh, you know, who is black, like, Does and A-train they don't really. Count? Who's A Train? <laughs> is he even? Is he, is he, is he even in the, in, in the seven? <laughs> oh, you're funny. You're very funny. But um, with regards to um, yeah. inclusion and commentary on on um, minorities and whatnot, um, I think that um, what Paulo said makes sense. In that he'd rather the show stick to what it's what it, what it's clearly designed to do, rather than try and shoehorn the inclusivity. Uh, but I think also that Kripke is smart enough to acknowledge that. I mean, the, I think the showrunner, the, the the producers, they know yeah. they they're very much aware of it, and that's why they make um, that whole subplot with um, Homelander torturing Maeve by bringing her sexuality to the fore, and God. even the way that they're trying to uh, market the hell out of her coming out. I think mm-hmm. they're showing how badly it could have gone if they tried to force it. Hmm, that's an interesting meta commentary. I didn't consider that. Yet. But yeah, um, I-, I lost it when the black dude said inclusivity is big now when they were trying to sell her <laughs> on their tape. I was well, I love, like, well, oh I love, my like, god! You- what I love is twenty nine in the year of 20, 2020, He's like, it's okay to be gay. I'm like, are you serious <laughs> in twenty twenty? <laughs> 
like you sound like you sound like you stepped out of a 1995 PSA. <laughs> <laughs> but and yeah, but I, it tells me that, that the showrunners are aware of that gap is also just more or less how they characterize the difference between Stormfront's public persona and how she behaves when she's away from the cameras. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Considering think, that you know she is who she, however old she is, um, she's yeah. very good at playing to the cheap seats, you know, right. in the yeah. way that it is done now. And she's absolutely right. She nails it on the head when she tells Homelander, you don't need 50 million people to love you. You just need 5 million people to hate for you, to be angry for you. And I'm yeah, like, that's, right. yeah, that's the world we live in. That's pretty much it. Yeah, Stormfront's the, the scariest and, and one of the scariest and greatest antagonistic characters you know, I've seen lately in the sense that she really represents the modern face of hate and the modern face of white supremacy. You know, like yeah. people people still sure. think people still think of like the thing is, oh my god, I could get into it, but I think we're almost out of time. No, <laughs> but but <laughs> no, I you know when people think of Nazis and white supremacy, uh, sorry, when people think of Nazis, sort of like decouple the race part from the narrative. We think of them like, oh, we're fighting fascism. We're fighting hate and we're fighting authoritarianism and totalitarianism while cleverly obscuring race. And that's why when you see like retellings of World War, you know, jingoistic patriotism, it's never about race. It's about freedom. It's about, you know, uh, all that stuff. And that's not. And so when we look for Nazis amidst us, we look for that. But, you know, Stormfront represents the modern Richard Spencer-esque face of, uh, of 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 hate and white supremacy, which is mm-hmm. trying to appear intellectual, trying to like, you know, stir up the conversation, and you know, turning the the, the camera back on themselves and saying, "Look, I'm doing this to like speak for you." Definitely, and I think that's what makes her. I mean, as far as I've gone, I've only gone up to episode five. That makes her the most dangerous one because people like Maeve. Fine, you said it earlier. At heart, she could be a good person. She's just kind of lost. Starlight, she's, you know, she's fighting from the inside. She's standing up for herself. Uh, the Deep, yeah, let's not even go there. But uh, people <laughs> like, people like, <laughs> we're going to do gills, The Deep his, right after this. Wait, hold on. But, his but, his gills are voiced by Python Asphalt. <laughs> I know, that's what I wanted to get into. <laughs> all right, all right. Sorry, sorry. No, 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 no please, but, please. But, but I was saying, I was going to say that Homelander, for all his bravado, for all his, you know, I know what I'm doing and all that crap, I think that he has actually bought into the image of himself that yeah. Vote has painted for him. Because he yeah. really, really does. He's not looking for, for ra- um, he's not looking for, 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 um, no, he, he is. He's looking for adoration. He's looking for love. He wants to be loved. He cares how many points his approval rating is today. Yeah, that, that, that just, he he's very much a part of the system for as much as he claims to be inside baseball about it all. He buys into it. Um, I, I can't decide whether he he buys into that or not. They just he or I just hadn't considered that he did mainly because I, I don't thought of it as as just a generalized self hate. But I, I didn't think that it was tied to to, to how self-conscious he is about his public image, or at least I felt like he'd overcome that by the end of, of episode five. But mm-hmm. um, no, you're right. He still is sort of um, driven by that gap between who he is and who he wants to be. Um, 
I'm a huge pro wrestling fan, and there's that whole concept of kayfabe, where you have right. the, you know um, the, the persona that you're projecting to the audience, even if there's a root of yourself in that. And I think yes. um, with someone like Stormfront, she knows what the kayfabe role is. She knows how to play it, but then yes. she switches it off um, as soon as the cameras are rolling. Whereas right. um, as uh, um, Homelander, he's sort of he's he's part of his has wants to become the mask. Yes. Um, he, he's, he's more night owl than, than Dr. Manhattan in that sense. For, for me, the thing about Homelander is, mm-hmm. in a nutshell, he has started to believe his own press. Mm-hmm. I think, actually, I think what Paul was getting at is that he has believed in this press thing for a very, very long time. And what we are watching in the series proper is what happens when that, 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 that image cracks and, mm-hmm. it reveals, it, and it yeah. reveals the fact that there is no person under there because because he's a corporate shell. He's he, right. you know what I mean like he he was brainwashed. He he has no sense of identity in terms of a moral, you know, uh, or ethical right. fiber that, that is at the heart of it. You know, what I mean, he only behaves in a moral way to serve the image that he thinks that he's the role that he thinks he's going to play, mm-hmm. not because he actually believes in those morals or actually you know performs them. So. That's the thing that 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 it, it it's you know you know when when you are when you are raised entirely as a brand this is what happens when the brand falters absolutely <laughs> absolutely three point landing uh how many episodes is this season gonna run ten I think oh cool so we got four <laughs> more weeks of this awesome awesome um for 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 me um. Judging from what I remember of the comic book, they have taken a lot of narrative um, divergences, a lot of detours. And again, based if, if, if the way that the characters are presented is any indication, then I think we can trust Kripke to stick the landing on this. I don't care what changes he makes to the book because I hated the book, <laughs> but I'm sure they will be for the better. <laughs> if, if you know, so far so good. Because whatever criticisms I have about Huey and the boys being narratively stunted in their growth, mm-hmm. um, the show is just so entertaining as a whole that you know it 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 compensates for it. It makes up for it. And uh, one thing I want to point out about um, the the matter of of showing more uh, marginalized perspectives. The one area where they can potentially re- recoup for that, assuming it's the same showrunner and the same team, would be in the spinoff. I mean, they've just announced this week that there's going to be wait, what? like um, <laughs> yeah, wait, wait, a show wait, 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 wait. set what, in the what, same spin-off? world. Uh, apparently, I, yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, they're, they're using the working title The Boys Academy or something to that effect. But the what? idea is it's basically going to focus on younger college-age characters. Oh and my um, God. what I'm hoping it is, is is that it's sort of like the TV version of um, the comic ecstatics where, you know, you have a <laughs> younger good. team, but also equally immersed within that world of, of superheroics as celebrity. Yeah. And oh, also man. like, and also like, hip, you know, uh, being part of popular culture and hip culture and music and brands and all that stuff, which is what ecstatics was really known for. I am so scared now that they're just going to be douchier versions of the adult douches. Well, I don't know. I, you know what? I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to fucking eat that shit up like no tomorrow. I you know. know what? You know why I <laughs> yeah. know? You know why uh, I know you're going to love it? Because uh, literally the next thing I was going to say was, 
with my luck, it's going to be Superhero Riverdale, which yes. you will love. Oh. You will eat that shit up. <laughs> oh my God, Matthew loves Riverdale so much. <laughs> <laughs> Your hate only makes my love for it more powerful. God damn. That show is like Gotham. It's a garbage fire. It's a very uh, but, expensive garbage uh, fire, but you cannot look away. But, um, no, but uh, Paolo, you know, uh, is, is right that, you know, this, this could be an opportunity to, you know, to, do, to, to, to explore diversity and different perspectives with, you know, younger characters. And also, it means an excuse to do more crazy sex, blood, guts, violence, <laughs> profanity, or whatever, but with younger-looking characters, which you means don't say. <laughs> which mean which means they don't have, and you know, let's be honest, like which means that they're not going to have to take all these middle-aged or these these thirty-five <laughs> to fifty-year-old characters <laughs> and put them in and hide their bodies under muscle suits all the time because that's the thing that's a little bit glaring about the show is that it's so obvious that you know and you know I don't want to force. Unrealistic body expectations and television stars. That's, 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 that's not. Yeah, that's not the point. <laughs> the point is, is that you know they cast for the character and not for the body. You know what I mean? That, right. And and that that presents better opportunities. You know, but when it comes to like with young characters, they'll be like, "All right, we can do supers, except we can take their shirts off." I don't know what. <laughs> wait, wait. On that note, on that note, can I just say there are scenes where Homelander's suit looks amazing. But then there are other su- scenes where he'll be like, he'll bend his body or he'll sit down or he'll slouch or whatever and the muscles fold in on themselves like the foam that they are. But, you know, I, I was willing to look past that. I could have forgiven that. But then they had a scene where Homelander is looking at Homelander in negligee and you see he's nowhere near as ripped yeah. <laughs> as he is when he's clothed. I'm yeah. like, wait... My suspension of disbelief. I was willing to take a shapeshifter turning into his 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 his, his, <laughs> his fantasy figure, but I find it too big a leap to accept that that's an accurate representation of Homelander's body. What I find um, what I find a little disappointing <laughs> is um, the fact that Homelander did not push through with Homelander. But that's just <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You know what? I think he wanted to. I think he wanted to, but if he acknowledged that, then he'd have to come out as gay, and that would be un-American to him. He wouldn't be apple pie. <laughs> no, nah, actually, you, you <laughs> joke, you joke, but I think it's a legitimate concern, which is that it wouldn't matter because he wouldn't have to tell if the world or come out. But if he started like, um, if he started confronting the, the the threat of being gay in that interaction, it would start replacing his neuroses with a completely different set of neuroses. Right. And that would make, yeah, yes. and that would make, that would, that would do no favors for the writing. I think that would, that would muddy the themes a little bit. I think, I guess it's a better yeah. decision to not, to not complicate it with that. I think he would have liked it. <laughs> that's, why that's why he's crying out of one eye. He's like, I really want this, but it's wrong. <laughs> oh, jeez. Fuck All that right. guy. Let's take let's 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 take it home, boys. Uh, let's let's talk about uh, what we're looking forward to uh, on the last half of the season, and then uh, we'll tie it up. Okay. Well, Paulo's further ahead than either of us, so you go first. Okay. Um. Well, I'm hoping to see. Well, the power dynamic has changed after episode six, um, because of 
the result of the, the climactic fight in that episode. I won't mm-hmm. say what the result is or how, but um, that lays a groundwork for um, it sh- reshuffle the pieces on the on the chessboard, so to speak. And so now I'm just in- inclined to see how the self styled chess players, um, Homelander, Stormfront, um, mm-hmm. and Esposito's character, and of course the boys themselves start to to who they pick as their pawns in in, in this sort of proxy war uh, for control, and also. Um, I'm now excited about the the prospect of maybe seeing uh, seeing Compound V get commercialized down the line because I, I think that there's that that possibility. And um, what happens when it it when there's a threat of of supers becoming not so super anymore because everybody is becoming super? Um, <laughs> I, I think that's something that that is going to get explored. I suspect that's something that will be explored down the line, and I, I kind of hope it goes in that direction. That actually sounds pretty cool. Huh. Well, now, well, now I've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just wanted to see more heads explode. Wow, I feel like shit now. <laughs> we look like crap next to Paolo. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> big, check, out, check out the big brain in Paolo. <laughs> no, but really, no, like, um, I am legitimately impressed. I don't know what the hell Matthew's on, but I am legitimately uh, impressed because that uh, actually sounds like a really cool direction for the show to take. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the one, the, the thread that I seized on the most from Paolo that I uh, like the most is the commercialization of Compound V because. Um, I feel like it's okay. I'm not as interested in the whole if everyone's super than no one is, but rather I'm interested in seeing the idea that Vought will try to hold on to power or try to like take this whole shit show and turn it around and suddenly start becoming the company that that is, is the company that becomes beloved for commercializing. Like, how will they spin this whole situation back in their favor? That's what I want to know about. Now that you in a very it, awful way. Um, well, what I wanted to see from the show is a little bit related to that. I haven't seen the sixth episode yet. Mm-hmm. I'm only up to I'm only up to five. But what I wanted to see was somewhat related to what Paulo said: um, the consequences of Compound V being out in the wild, as it were. In my case, I wanted to see more of the fallout um, from the genie being out of the bottle, as it were. You know, the world knows about Compound V. And I don't right. think that, you know, the, the, the seven stopping one super terrorist or super villain um, it would be in the, quite enough to defer that attention. Because at the end of the day, holy crap, you guys were made in test tubes. All right. And then, you know, yeah. And actually, take, let's take what you suggested, Misha, and take it to a very ultimate direction, which is what happens when rival, uh, when, when rival, Countries, or rather, but other countries yeah. start oh, trying right. to develop their own <laughs> oh, compound cool. Vs. You know, you what get I mean? the ultimates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. the whole like because right in the ultimates there was this there was this super terrorist organization, right? It was like it was basically, you know, it was basically, you know, superhuman Al Qaeda. <laughs> yeah, that, it pretty much was. Uh, yeah. They were not subtle at all. They were not subtle at all. Well, but is Mark Miller ever subtle? Uh, that's true. That's true. Hmm. But yeah, so that's that's I think from what you said, that that'd be an exciting uh, way to like spin out of that one. But I, yeah. I, I also like the idea of the public wanting to get their hands on it because, like you know, it could be the new designer drug. Yeah. Well, designer drug sounds pretty like shady, but definitely a 
you know, uh, uh, brought to you by the Vought Corporation, like really good stuff that makes people's lives better. Pfizer <laughs> made it. <laughs> but, and then you have the side to that um, where there are people going to be trying to synthesize Compound V in, in you know, dingy trailers and, oh, you know, yes. blowing themselves up in the process as well. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, or like, hey, there are lots of pretty interesting directions that they could take with that prospect. Man, um, somebody should give us the money to make a show. Paolo, are you just are you are you basically just filtering a hundred mutant growth hormone storylines from the early two thousands? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, uh, the other thing that I, um, hmm. I remembered recently, I haven't seen it yet. Was I think it's called Project Powers, which is a very black centric. Um, Netflix movie that came out recently that has that as part of its premise that there's um, yeah I believe Joseph Gordon-Levitt's in it right right yeah I think so superpowers yeah that's right that's right yeah I haven't seen it yet though I haven't seen it either but that that was uh, I'd read but I'd been reading about it recently and so that's why I had that angle at top of mind rather than the mutant growth hormone thing but yes that is (laughs) including um the, the the canon comic book debut of of X twenty three was in that type of storyline as well. That's mm. right. That's right. <sighs> oh man, they're just a million. Actually, speaking of X twenty three, oh well, hold on. I can't remember. Was was Wendy introduced in, in episode five or six? Did you <clears throat> have you guys seen Wendy yet? No. Who's Wendy? Ooh, wh- Wendy. No. Okay. All right. Uh, like if we're not no, talking episode ahead. six, then then. The, the, Drop okay. it, drop it. We're here, okay. we're here to be, yeah. Okay, episode six introduces um, a psychiatric facility where there are basically, they're trying to introduce compound V into susceptible adults. Because what they what episode six gives out is that it works, it's stable when you, when you give it to kids. It's unpredictable when you give it to full-grown adults. They're trying to experiment to make it, to make it uh, viable for all adults. And one of the most successful adult test subjects is um, Wendy. Like they haven't given her a name yet, but she looks essentially like Eleven did in Stranger Things season one, or sort of like um, what is it, Negasonic Teenage Warhead? She's got the you know she's got shaved the waif like yeah shaved head, but then kind of waif like build otherwise, even if she's kind of toned and but. Mm-hmm. Completely overpowered, um, like you know, uh, Stormfront tries to kill her, and she she withstands the full blast of Stormfront's electric powers, and Holy so crap. she's, yeah. Even if she, so, what 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 you have essentially is you have she's a Mary Sue in the way that people complained X twenty three was a Mary Sue when she was mm-hmm. first introduced, and so um, I mean in. And so with her out, the episode ends with her hitchhike, uh, escaping the facility after causing a, a, a breakout and her hitchhiking. And so she's now in the wild, um, possibly for any one of the, the power players to um, take Play, advantage of. Uh, Ooh, that could be interesting. Yep. Uh, oh, man. There's like uh, a million right. directions That's, this show like- could still go. Yeah, you know what we're doing? We're doing, Misha, after this after this episode ends, this recording ends, we're fucking watching episode six. That's what we're doing. I know. This is this is our fault for not watching episode six. <laughs> All right. So uh, Paolo, thank you again for talking to us about the boys. Um, thank you for having me. Thanks, yeah, I mean, man, you know, fun. like I mean, you know, I've known Paolo a long time, you know. We've always like we you know, we uh I always love talking to him about like all sorts of nerdy pop culture stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and I think you know, let's. I'll be. I'll be honest, Misha. This was just my excuse to have him hang out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, in, in the, this in was these, awesome. Not, yeah. You will not hear a complaint yeah. out of me. 
in these times and maybe we can have him over again uh you know for sure for oh, other stuff. again let's not yeah. wait 10 years to talk again paolo definitely <laughs> <laughs> it's been great all right mm-hmm. holy crap that was fun especially since right. you know i mean since we're all like you know locked up and shit it's just <laughs> nice to blow off some steam yeah and that has been another episode of Three Point Landing. Let um, tell us what you think about the boys. Uh, you know, let us know what your theories are. Uh, what do you think of the ideas that we suggested the story could turn? And tell us who your favorite member of the boys or the seven are. As always, you can find us on any of your favorite podcasting platforms, as on Google's Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, um, and uh, you can check out our Facebook page at facebook.com three point landing podcast ph mm-hmm. um yeah if you want to yell at me about stuff uh you can check me out on twitter uh twitter handle at arsodia matthew um Paula, do you have any platforms or places or things you'd like to promote no i, I was just happy to be here uh, <laughs> that's fine <laughs> all right all right thanks so much man this has been a blast thank you very much <laughs> <laughs>